0: Hit record. It'll stop. Let me know if you can't hear me, but I tested my audio, so I think we should be good. Um, So, I'm Kelly. Welcome to Room One and any new members who are here. I'm one of the coaches, and today, happy September. I dropped my oldest off at kindergarten today, which was a big deal because it's the beginning. Um, So, today we're going to talk about the model, why we use the model and what the model is about, and then we're going to talk about sex, which is only slightly sad because Facebook kicked off one of my posts because it had the word in it. So here's to to Facebook seeing what you're doing. Um, So the model is fantastic for surgeons because surgeons really like templates. We like flowcharts. We like just kind of plug and play stuff. Um, And I think that's why me and Amy and Jess really gravitate towards the model. The model is taught by Brooke Castillo in the Life Coach School. So it's not something we invented. Um, She kind of invented it, like it's her thing, but Brooke Castillo didn't invent the model. It's just kind of a way of thinking about our thoughts and the way we're thinking about situations. And it really helps break things down, I think, for surgeons. Surgeons surgeons really gravitate towards it because it's very logical to us. Um, And it makes a lot of sense. And it's not, it's not woo. The model's like not woo woo at all, which I think really helps a lot of surgeons be comfortable with it because even I like at, even at this point in my mindfulness groundedness career, like don't always love the woo wooey. Um, so the model for this is an intro to the model. And then we're also going to talk about sex. And what I want you guys to do is type in like questions you have or where you're stuck. Um, and I'm happy to bring you on for coaching. Uh, also, if you want to be brought on. So like, raise your hand or type in like, yes, you want to get in coaching because I will make room for that. Otherwise, I'm just going to riff on what the model is and then we'll talk about kind of thoughts about sex because this is like a combo hour meeting everybody's needs so intro to the model the model is ctfar is kind of when people get good about the model they're like my c my t and you're like what the heck are you talking about so c t f there we go a and r so intro to the model c's are circumstances c's are neutral you can't put adjectives in the c's you can't be like nice mom you just have to put like mom said or you can't say mom was angry because other people might disagree about mom being angry you might just think mom's angry but she thought she was just being direct so the c has to be very very clean and the way they describe it is it has to be like a fact in the court of law of like everybody thinks that happened like it's a tuesday everybody can agree it's a tuesday um you can't say it's a bad tuesday because that's putting in opinion on it so c's are very very clean the other recommendation for c's when you're doing your model is to keep them very specific when i coach i go sometimes i go very big on c's like surgery clinic or sex right, as far as very big T's or C's, but um, when they talk about kind of getting very clean with your model is they want you to be very specific about it. So surgery clinic as an attending when I'm post-call, right, is to be like more specific than just clinic in general. Um, So that's one piece of advice for getting a very specific circumstance to which you have your thought on. And then the thing, so T is thought, and thought is they want you to have one sentence, and then the other thing they give you for, and if this is too much, too much rules for you, like don't listen to me as far as that goes. This is like intro to the model of like what the heck we're talking about, and then how to kind of make your models even better for when you're doing your self-coaching, or when you're having us coach you, whatever it might be. I'm just giving you like tips and tricks of intro to the model. So thoughts, one way is just whether we call a thought download is just to write down all your thoughts about surgery clinic, since that seems to be my circumstance I'm talking about a lot today. But your thought download is like all the thoughts you're thinking, because every single different thought is technically a different model, right? And you could have many, many different thoughts about surgery clinic. You could be like, I feel rushed. I feel it's unnecessary. Nobody wants to help me. I always run behind, right? So we already have four different models now for like all of those thoughts. And each of those thoughts can drive a slightly different feeling and action. So we don't put all of our thoughts in the T line. We pick one or we pick the like truest one or the one that feels most stuck. And then we run a model on it. And sometimes we'll say like, oh, that's a different model. Meaning like if you're headed, if you keep going to a different thought, on running a model is we try to stick with the the one sentence that we put in here. The other rule for thoughts is you're not allowed to put a question in it. Um let me think of a question. Oh so if you did like a C of like my career and then you did a T of I don't know what to do. Right. Is like that doesn't that doesn't get you anywhere productive, right? Because you're like spinning and I don't know what to do. So usually a coach would be like what if you didn't know what to do? And then you put that thought in there of like you answer it. Like you do know what to do, you're just spinning in agony of not knowing what to do. So can't put questions in the T's or if you're gonna try to put a question in there, you have to answer it and the answered uh, question. So it has to be a declarative sentence, goes in the thought line so get very specific with your t um keep the emotions out of your c get very specific or one sentence they, they don't even want you to do like run-on sentences because if you're like clinic takes a lot of time and nobody helps me those can lead to two different like feelings and actions so it's like be very specific with your t and you can get all those t's out when we do the thought download when a coach is like tell me more about clinic what else is going on when you think about clinic? Is like getting out all of those thoughts, that thought download for it. So one phrase in the thought line, and then so in the model, the way this works is our thoughts create our feelings, and in our feelings, one word goes in here. They don't want like I feel angry and sad and depressed and blah blah. It's like that's all a bunch of different models. Is you pick one feeling for your F line. So this should be one word. Um, I always joke about feelings that surgeons' favorite feeling is tight. We also like to feel angry a lot. Um, And there's no good feeling and there's no bad feeling. And in the coaching world, I think a big thing in the coaching world for a lot of people is that all feelings are okay. Feeling feelings is not something we're taught how to do. Um, Feeling feelings never kills anybody. But a lot of things in our world that we do to try not to feel th- feelings, such as overeating, over-drinking, over over-exercising, all the things we do to try not to feel our feelings can kill us. And feeling our feelings hasn't ever killed anybody, uh, which was a powerful thing when I sat down and thought about that. So feelings are to be felt. We process them in our body. Feelings go away when you process them. But if we try to cover them up with things or avoid them, they tend to be there and can be unhealthy. So that's what the feelings is about. I've felt more feelings in the last year, probably since COVID, that I maybe possibly have ever felt in my life. Totally worth it. Not something we're trained how to do. Because of feeling feelings and because of this model, I've done amazing things. Like my current personal growth thing is stopping drinking, boy, do I have to listen to a lot of thoughts and feel a lot of feelings to not drink. Because all drinking is, is not wanting to feel the feeling that you're having. And once you see it like that, you're like, what the heck am I drinking for? Not giving up coffee, however. So that's the feeling. You put one word in the feeling line. It's either an adjective or it's an emotion. So, and if you, get, if you have like two feelings that are coming up, it usually means you're, again, having two thoughts in your T-line that we've got to clean up to kind of figure out which one you want to do. So, actions, C-T-F-A-R, circumstances, thoughts, feelings, actions. Actions are what you do and what you don't do because of your feelings. They're both. So it's kind of like what exists in your world. What are you creating and what are you not creating because of a feeling and what we'll do since we're talking about sex also this month is we'll put sex or we'll put desire in the model and i will run a model for you guys because in my work as a sex coach and sex pert, which is kind of fun to say, we're writing a book about it. So many thoughts and beliefs about sex. Like I could just do a million models at this point. So, Actions is what is, it's basically what you're creating in your world, right? The belief that the world that we live in is created by us, our our world, not the outside world. It's The outside world exists without us, you guys. It has for eons, it will after we're gone. It's the world that we're in, right? What we create. Anybody who's created anything wonderful in their life, besides like the parents you were born to and the country you were born into, things you can't control. Right. But once you're an adult, what we have is what we've created, right? Like I've created living in this house. I've created this company where I get to coach other surgeons, everything we have, we create. Once we realize that amazing power, it's pretty damn fun. And you're like, like, don't like that part. Let's see if I can create out of it. Or like, what else can I create? Can I create writing a book? Can I create being a chair at a surgery department? Like all these things. Once you realize your power to create what you want in your life. I want to create a six figure income. I want to create whatever, whatever the hell you want to create podcast. Make stuff up. You can create an amazing sex life. You can create healthy sexuality. You can create being an athletic person. Like once you realize your power of creation and your actions are driven by your feelings and your thoughts. And you can, the other cool thing about the model is it's not always, it's not always top down, right? You can currently be like my result right now is $300,000 of debt. Then you're like, how did you get there? How do you want to get out of there? Right? The things we create, I created a whole bunch of debt by going to medical school. I also created the ability to be a surgeon by going to medical school. So, very, a lot of personal power comes in realizing and understanding the model, which is why it's so damn cool. Because I think so many A, humans, B, surgeons, B, surgeons who are humans, create this very disempowered state. Like, well, I can't do blah, 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 because I work for the VA. And it's like, you can work for the VA. That's a circumstance. What are you going to do with the rest of your life? Right. Um, I can't have a great sex life because of what happened in my past. Right? and realizing how disempowering that is instead of realizing where well, do you have the power. So that's another very cool thing about the model. So what else? Um, results, the only thing that we can do with the results is what your life is or what your life looks like, right? You can never control anybody else in your life. That's the other great thing about coaching and kind of realizing this way of thinking about life is like we, besides our children, and forcing somebody, we can't make anybody do anything else. Which is incredibly empowering, especially as a surgeon to be like, I can't make this person like me, it's not my job. I can be compassionate, I can listen, I can give them my time, I can reflect back to them what I'm hearing, their anger. right? But it's not my job to make anybody like me, it's up to them to decide to like me. right? And once we realize like, the only person I have any control over is me and not anybody else, You just get to let everybody else go. Like That's an adult choosing to do their adult things. I don't have control over it. The only thing I have control over is my life and my actions and my behaviors. Um, So that's the result is kind of what you've created in your life because of your thoughts, your feelings, your actions. So result line is you. You can't be like, my sister is now pissed off at me. Like, no, 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 your sister's choosing to be pissed off at you. So that is my intro to going down the model. I know Jess usually gets to be the like first of the month intro to the model. (laughs) I never get to do it. So I'm like, yay, it's my turn to kind of go down the model and my thoughts on the rules of the model and why we do it and why it's so damn empowering to us. So I hope that was helpful. If you have questions about the model, um, type them in. And if you have a topic you either want me to talk about or where does something fit, type it in. Or if you want to get coached, type it in because I want to individualize this as much as you, you guys want it to be individualized. So chat box for everybody who wants to use that. Um, let me see if there's any other tips. No, I think we got it. So, if you have a result that you want to create in your life, you put it here. And then you can work backwards of like, what do you have to do? What do you have to think? What do you have to feel? Circumstance can kind of be neutral as as far as creating results. So, again, you can start anywhere. Like, feeling, you can put anxious. And you can be like, okay, well, what am I thinking that's making me feel anxious, right? Or action can be like, overeating over drinking, not being able to say no to alcohol, right? That's what you're doing. And then you can, so you can start anywhere you want to start in the model and then like fill it in, which is why, again, I think surgeons love it so much is because it's like, you can literally do anything with this thing. Even though I've always been with you guys for months, it's always helpful to get a review of the model. Yes. I know. Every time I listen to somebody kind of break down their ways uh, of doing the model, I always learn something too. There's always like gems to get which is great. So that's why I'm like, I love it when Jess does it. Cause she, like we all come from a different place and a different energy too. And you kind of get all that different stuff. So I love it. So let's talk about sex. Sex is a loaded word. Facebook hates it. I just got my post kicked off because of typing in a three letter word that began with S-E-X. So the cool thing about sex is we get to be in complete control of our sex life. Uh, when we decide and learn that we want to be and get to be. I think so many women, as far as sexuality goes, take a very passive seat to it. Um, Certainly our society tells us that women are the ones who are desired, which is a very passive sitting back sort of role to be put in, right? Stereotypically, men... um, I just paused because every time I start talking about this, I always have to do my like asterisks of like, yes, I'm talking about cisgendered heterosexual couples and this applies to everybody. And I always tend to like, have to be tripped up on my um, heteronormative behavior that I've been trained to do. And I don't mean to, if it offends anybody. So, typically women who are so people who are socialized as women in our society are told that we are the objects of desire. And uh, so, meaning, like we're the the people that are desired, right? We ju- our job is just to sit back and be desired. Like people who want to have sex with us come to us. It's our job to to attract them with our our beauty, right? So if you look at the way society teaches women how to be sexual, right? The other thing our society does is it tells us that you shouldn't want sex too much because then you're a whore or you're bad, or you're dirty, or you're, something's wrong with you. you, you have too much desire, right? And then we've got the other part of us where it's like, what's wrong with you that you don't want sex? And you're like, well, look at what society tells women that they are if they desire sex. It's not, in a, it's not a positive thing that society tells us we are if we don't want sex. And then we are here saying, how come I don't want sex? We're like, well, we never told you it was okay to want sex. Remember, the men are the ones who are supposed to want sex in our society. They're the desirers. They're the active participant. They're the ones who go and get it. They're the ones who go seek it out, right? So if you just look at sexual normative roles in our society, I think it really helps women realize, like, how did we get here? Oh, because I was told a whole bunch of sex, what we call sex negative thinking, um, whether it's sex ed right sex leads to disease and pregnancy which is bad um you know bad things will happen to you if you get pregnant too soon right sex is safe for marriage uh you should only have sex in marriage you should only have sex with one partner at a time all of these rules you can agree you can choose to agree and disagree with whatever ones you want to just realize they're like society's rules right And if they work for you, fantastic. If you're like, yes, I'm perfectly happy in my long-term monogamous relationship. Like, awesome, fantastic. Um, But usually what has happened in a middle-aged woman who has a career, possibly has kids at home, long-term, tends to be heterosexual, uh, gender, some gender roles, right? So what tends to happen in that relationship is the novelty of sex has worn off. So that's number one, we feel very broken because we're not having that like spontaneous desire for our partner anymore. And we feel very broken about it because nobody has ever told us that in a long-term monogamous relationship, what the brain does, again, neuroscience, is the brain says, I know all the secrets, I know all the stories, I know exactly how sex is gonna go on Saturday night, right before bed, touch here, touch there, put the penis in here, he gets an orgasm, right? Like. To the brain, it's very boring. Whether or not you think you're having boring sex, to the brain, it's very boring. The brain loves novelty. Dopamine comes out when you seek something, right? And our brain seeks novelty, right? Is there a new food source over there? Is there a new person to be meeting over there? Is there something sparkly and shiny or sugary right here? The dopamine is released in seeking out novelty. You will not have a dopamine release when the sex that you're having isn't novel anymore. So I think it can have so much just relief to couples in general when you say, yeah, after about studies show after about six to 18 months in a long-term relationship, the novelty seeking part of our brain is gone. That's where spontaneous desire comes from. And when you're getting into year 4, 27, whatever it might be in that relationship. I mean, I can't tell you how many women I've talked to who are like, man, once I got a divorce, I just talked to a woman last weekend. She's like, once I got a divorce, my sex drive is through the roof dating, like through the roof. Now, I'm not advocating getting a divorce and having been dating to get your sex drive back, but it comes back and it's neuroscience. Your brain's like, Look at this entire menu of new things that I have no idea about and could be fun and who knows what's gonna happen. Dopamine, 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 spontaneous sex drive. So if you're in a long-term relationship and you're like, I don't really seek out, I'm not really seeking out sex, I don't have spontaneous desire, what's wrong with me? The answer is nothing's wrong with you. Everything's right with you. Your, your brain is responding as your brain should respond and just kind of saying you're totally normal and it's okay. So there's my ramble on like desire, right? The other thing where putting desire into the model, right, is you really can kind of put desire anywhere. Desire can be an action. I'm gonna desire my partner because I, I have thoughts that create desire, right? Or desire is a result because of your actions of doing things that make things more interesting. Uh, trying new things, experimenting in new things, talking about things in a different way than you've talked about them before. Um, All very, very important. I think the other thing about desire in sex for women, and, and I see this in men who study female desire, is they're trying to figure out this desire piece and women are just having crappy sex in the first place. What do I mean by crappy sex? I mean, I'm doing it for somebody else, I'm doing it for him uh, it's boring. So your brain's like, man, I know the steps. It's a, you know, it's a four-step dance. I know it. I'm not super engaged because I can do this in my sleep. Right. Kind of like going into a surgery. And like, if you've done that surgery for years and years and years, you're just like, and you can kind of like be out of your mind. Like you're listening to the music, you're chatting to the scrub tech about your weekend, you're doing your thing. That's how routine sex can get. You're like, detached, you're not in your body, you don't have that heightened sense of like being in the moment. But if you take a surgery that you haven't done or it's complicated or like there's some something going on that like kind of brings your awareness to the moment, you're like, and you're in your zone. Really good sex is in your zone where people aren't thinking about today, tomorrow, yesterday, the socks on the floor, all that stuff. Um, there's a big, big mindfulness component to happy sex so being in the moment being in our body being able to refocus down into our pelvis all incredibly important because if you think about the future that's not where orgasms literally won't work in the brain if you have your frontal lobe like the executive planning part of our brain is engaged orgasms don't live there like one of my one of my quotes for that is like you can't frontal lobe your orgasms. It's not how it works. Your orgasm literally has to be like in the moment. What's, what feels good? Where am I? Like I literally say like when you are breathing, you're breathing as if you're breathing through your pelvis, putting all of your mindfulness and thought into the clitoris, the vulva, the touch, all that stuff. And I think also what happens is when women go through like routine should sex a lot they're like yeah just do it for you like get it over with he he needs it before I go to bed right they actually learn and teach themselves to dissociate pleasure from things that are help happening in my pelvis so like women will say like I just doesn't feel as good anymore it's like well you're doing things in your pelvis and your brain's not engaged because you're doing it for somebody else or you're like yeah honey it's okay it's just about you today it's fine I don't mind your brain and your pelvis are literally dissociating and you have to repractice to get them together again, to be like, my pleasure is important. My orgasm is important. If you like the sex you're having, it's very helpful as far as bringing desire back in. So what I want to hear from you is, is this making sense? Are you happy I'm talking about it? Is there a topic about this that you know that you're curious about, but I haven't touched on yet? Um, because today's just really all about female sexual function, desire, normalizing, responsive desire. Responsive desire is the lion's share of female desire. Not when we're 18 and we have like super strong testosterone going on, and it's all novel, and whether it's boys or girls, whatever our sexual interest is, is new and exciting and unknown. And you're not really great at sex yet. Like that's where spontaneous desire comes from. That's that novelty of the brain combined with testosterone. So when a woman has a full-time job, that's stressful. That disrupts her sleep. Sleep is so important for a happy, happy healthy sex life. They've done studies on shift workers and kind of how sex drive plummets in shift workers. Like, surgeons are no different than that. And it really goes into, again, self-care of if we're using alcohol, if we are sleeping poorly, if we never quiet that sympathetic nervous system, that cortisol, that's go, 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 we're not going to be able to get down to where pleasure and orgasm is. Even once we deal with all this crap of society telling us, like, don't like sex too much. And... What society tells men is not good for them either, right? Society tells men that they should always be desirous, that they should always want to have sex. That hurts them too, because it turns out they don't always like. They're tired, and they have full-time jobs, and they have body health issues too. So men have nobody has like the best deal of this, but I I'm biased. I think men do have a better go because our society is really focused on the male experience of sex um so it's probably not as rough for them as it is for women but it's for men who have a more responsive desire uh that kind of body or not that kind of society shooting on them telling them they should always desire they should always be ready you should always be able to get an erection like that like that's very damaging to them as well so nobody gets through this unscathed um so let's talk about responsive desire for a second. Responsive desire, again, the normal, especially as we age, our hormones change. We're in committed long-term relationships. Our, uh, we've got a job. We've got all this cognitive stuff that we're doing. Again, cognitive frontal lobe is not great for sex. You really have to turn it off. That's one reason why alcohol in small amounts, and again, I'm always careful. I'm not saying have alcohol to have great sex, but I want to explain why a lot of people use alcohol to get into the moment with sex because it's cool how it works with the brain. Um, And this is me like not advocating it, but it's cool stuff. So what alcohol does is it literally makes us myopic and narrows our focus of attention. And you don't care about yesterday, which is why it's nice when you had a stressful yesterday, you dose yourself with some alcohol, you care about it less, right? It's the drug of alcohol, it's how it works. Alcohol also doesn't make us think about tomorrow, right? Which is why we do stupid shit when we're drinking, because you don't care about tomorrow. You don't care about consequences, right? Which is why for sexual assaults, the majority of sexual assaults are happening when alcohol is being consumed, is because people are, they're kind of like, I'm with this person and it kind of feels like a great idea to me, because that part of the brain that's thinking about tomorrow is on a holiday. So... That's why alcohol in small doses helps people focus on their body and on the moment and on the sensations and on that experience because the, this part, like blinders on a horse, is turned off. And, but alcohol in any, any amount. But alcohol is also a depressant. So you're gonna see a lot of sexual side effects with alcohol, you're gonna have erection troubles, uh, delayed orgasm function, some decreased arousal ability. So there are issues with alcohol too. So not advocating alcohol, I'm just explaining how it works as far, and I think doctors are getting a lot of slack right now on social media for like, the doctor just said, have a glass of wine. I don't think that's all bad, right? Like. Focus on your partner, focus on your pelvis, focus on your sexual experience. Bonus, bonus for enjoying sex. But I don't think alcohol is the solution. It's just a neurotoxin that works in interesting ways. So it's worth talking about. So going back to uh, responsive desire. Responsive desire, uh, Rosemary Basson is the sex researcher who kind of started making famous the female uh, sexual response cycle. And before then we had Masters and Johnson and we had uh, Helen Singer and we had all of these people who said it was a very linear response, right? Like desire, arousal, orgasm, plateau or resolution. Plateau, orgasm, resolution, very linear. And it turns out that the more research they did, they said it's a very male sexual response Whereas women kind of come in and out of desire, they can have multiple orgasms, what they train themselves to, they can kind of come in and out. So she made a very circular, if you look at, if you Google Rosemary Bassan female female arousal or something, you're gonna see an illustration with a circle. And the point of it is desire can come in at any point and responsive desire tends to kick in when you're having a great time in the bedroom, meaning, Sex is important to me and my partner. I want to prioritize it. No, I'm not in the mood right now because I just got the kids to sleep and I'd rather sit on the couch and watch Netflix. But I know that if I go and start prioritizing my body, my pleasure to have the good sex we should be having, I'm then going to like it, right? And so many women say like, that was so great. Why do I always forget how great that was? Right. Well, because our brains don't remember wonderful things very well. But so many women will be like, I'm so glad I did that, right? But you just have to get to the bedroom, to the experience, and then that's where that desire kicks in versus sitting around waiting for it and being like, I can't have sex until I get this desire thing to kick in. The desire thing kicks in for women while you're doing it. And that's incredibly important to know. And again, I'm always very careful in how I word this. I never want to say, go have sex when you don't want to. It's not what I mean, I said in a relationship where you're prioritizing sex and closeness, and that's very important to you and your partner, go in knowing that if you prioritize your pleasure and you start doing things that make female bodies feel good, you're doing it for you as well as your partner, not just for your partner. You start having a good time, you have pleasure, that's where your desire for sex is. And then your brain, your stupid, stupid brain is gonna forget that you had a great time one week later when you're in the same boat of the kids just went down, I've got all these things, I've got a presentation at Grand Rounds tomorrow, I don't really feel like sex, but it's important for my relationship and I know once I get going and I've got these couple of cool vibrators that I know always work for my pelvis because I've practiced, right? Like that's where that responsive desire comes in. They've done so much research on sexually satisfied couples. Two things. Number one, the older you are, the better it gets for a lot of these people. There's like books on sex doesn't, you don't get started with sex until age 50. A couple of theories about that. Number one, the perimenopause menopause time for women is, again, this is like another hour talk, but like it is a time of like, I've stopped giving a fuck. (laughs) Language about what the world says women should do. This is my life. I want to live my life and I don't care anymore. Body image goes up. Uh, inhibitions go down. I've been with my partner for a while. We have a great relationship. We're going to try new things. Good sex gets started then. Number two, when they research sexually satisfied couples and they say, like, what's important? How do you do this? What are your secrets? Desire is like not involved, which is really, really good to know. Because I think society is like shaming women for not having sexual desire. And a lot of researchers now are like, fuck desire. It's not even a necessary ingredient. And number two, it tends to be very male-centric, testosterone-driven, as far as what hormones do, right? So if you look at the role of estrogen and possibly progesterone, but progesterone is not studied much. If you look at the role of that in sex, it tends to be more of a kind of a responsive arousal um, hormone for women, which kind of explains like being able to get aroused, wanting to be desired, wanting to be had, kind of all of that like receptive sexual, which tells you like our stereotypes in society maybe kind of happen for a reason. but. Um, sexual stereotypes are also very limited. But then testosterone is the go get it, right? Leave the cave, find the saber-toothed tiger, hunt down the opposing tribe, go find the sexual, somebody to have sex with. Testosterone is really kind of the seeking active hormone. So point being, desire being necessary for a woman to have a happy, healthy sexuality is kind of is a myth at this point amongst the experts out there now you're gonna not see that because hollywood music uh the supple the billion dollar supplement industry right is like just take this for your desire just take this because there's something wrong with you it's like we just want to consume something or purchase something or have something to have that desire and the science is responsive desire really is The majority for women, again, long-term relationships, as we get older, we have a full-time job. Um, Responsive desire really is our normal, more default than spontaneous. If you want to have spontaneous desire in your life, there's nothing wrong with that, but know that you have to work at it to create the things that, again, drive the dopamine and the seeking in our brain. Um, Testosterone helps, so weightlifting, physical fitness, be have, having endurance because good sex is kind of like you, know, you burn some calories. Um, creativity, knowing that there's going to be something new or you're going to try something different helps desire. And then here's the other thing which we can fit into the model is how we think about our sexual partner or our spouse. Right? Do you think about your spouse? I'm saying spouse. It can be a partner. It can be whatever. This can be. This can apply to single people. Um, because it has to do with body image too, right? Do you think of yourself as a sexual person? Do you think about your spouse as a sexual person? Do you think of your spouse as an object to desire? right? And all of that is where all of your power is. As far as like, oh, I wish I had desire. Well, what are you doing to create the desire in your life? right? What are you thinking about your spouse? If all you're doing is picking on them, I'm going to use heteronormative language, Pete, are you picking on him? Are you thinking he does a crappy job at raising the children? Do you think he just is sloppy? Do you think that he just doesn't work hard enough? All of these thoughts don't lead to desire in this person versus what thoughts, and everything we choose about our partner is, our, every thought we have about our partner is a choice, right? Like I can think about my partner, he looks very good in those jeans. My partner has one pair of jeans. And he, like, wears them until it has a hole in it, and then he buys the exact same pair of jeans. Like, he's not wearing fancy jeans. He's wearing the exact same jeans every single freaking day. God bless. I like variety in my wardrobe. But, like, it's not the pants that are making him look like good. Because it's the same pair of pants every single day, which is not novel, and I know that. But if I look and I say, that's super hot. That's important. I chose that. I choose to have that in my house. Right, the thoughts we have about our spouse lead to our desire of their, our spouse. Right, so thoughts create our feelings, create our actions, create our results. Circumstances neutral. Desire is not something that's out there to be purchased or to go get. Desire is something we create within us. And a very a trippy exercise on desire. It was, it was a coach and the coach said, I want you to write down, I think it was like 25 things. But for us, it would say like, write down five things, write down five things that you desire. And they like gave you time to do it. Like, Thinking about things you desire, writing down things you desire. And then they said, of those five things, how many of those things do you currently have? And most people were like, I don't have any of those things that I desire. Those are things I don't have. Right. And they're like, why aren't you desiring what you do already have in your life? Right. Like I desire the shower that I take every day. I desire the body that I have already. Like you already have so many things that you can desire and love and be grateful for and want. Instead, we think the things you desire are out there in the world. But appreciating what we have, gratitude for what we already have, like blew my mind. So it's like desire what you already have. Try that on for a second and see how it works. So we have 20 minutes left. This is me talking about sex. I can do it for a I want you to raise your hand if you want coaching or typing questions. While I'm waiting for somebody to step up, I'm going to talk about the clitoris. Because the clitoris is not something we got taught about in med school, and it's very important to female sex. So clitoris is the penis homologue. Or the penis is a large clitoris. I swear to God, you guys, I'm a urologist. I give Viagra to a crap ton of people, and nobody cares about who the people who are sleeping with the Viagra people are. Like med school d- doesn't care about the women anatomy, it, it, you can. So many people have done this now. They look at how much of the textbooks are are attention giving to the penis versus the clitoris. And in all fairness, it should probably be at a three to one ratio because the the penis has three jobs, right? So the three jobs of the penis is I have to urinate, I have to get semen out into the world, ideally into a female to reproduce, and I need to have pleasure so that I actually want to do number two, right? So we have pleasure, we have reproduction, and we have urination in the penis. In the clitoris, we just have pleasure. Now... You can break that down a little bit more the coolest thing about the clitoris is it's the only organ in any body that's dedicated solely to pleasure but if you break that down a little bit more it is partially involved in reproduction you can reproduce without ever having pleasure or clitoral touch right so it's not like one-on-one they used to think that orgasm was necessary to get women pregnant and well now we know it's not But um, what the clitoris also does is when the clitoris is stimulated, it helps bring lubrication to the vagina and the vulva. It helps, uh, again, arousal helps the vagina lengthen and tilt back to make intercourse more comfortable. So lubrication, uh, vaginal changes, and also interest in having something put in your vagina. You stimulate the clitoris and the labia. Behind the labia is the bulbs or the legs of the clitoris. The penis has that too, just in the pelvis. Ours is behind our labia. So if you ever thought something was wrong with you because you like the labia touched in certain ways, it's actually your clitoris just underneath the labia. Um, other thing about the labia just going into hormones is the inner labia dissolves or resorbs, whatever you want to call it, after menopause because it's such an estrogen sensitive organ The inner labia is incredibly sensitive and is a very important sexual organ for women as far as stimulation and enjoyment goes. I literally didn't get this taught this in med school or residency. I just thought for like five years after in private practice that like people were born without inner labias. Like a urologist thought that because I didn't get taught any different. And then I go to an ISHWISH conference and they're like, no, 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 all those postmenopausal women with no labia minora, because it resorbed because they didn't you know, have any estrogen. This is literally why we have to stay on vaginal estrogen. Number one, it decreases urinary tract infections. It decreases overactive bladder, the frequency, urgency that comes with genital urinary symptoms of menopause. But sexual stimulation, arousal, blood flow, collagen, all the things that make it feel good, because if it doesn't feel good, we won't desire it. We won't want to do it. My my big analogy for, I'll give you both of my analogies. I'll give you my exercise analogy and I'll give you my melted ice cream analogy. So exercise analogy, if I sat around and waited for my spontaneous desire to exercise, I would not be able to do pull-ups, I would, way less strong and fit and squishy because exercise is an incredibly important part of my life at this point in my life. I've been a consistent exerciser for the last three years. Very rarely does exercise happen because I have spontaneous desire to exercise because there's other things I could be doing with my life right including just sitting around or spending time with my kids or whatever. So if I waited for spontaneous desire to exercise, it would not happen. Sex is very, very similar. If we wait for spontaneous desire to say, sexual activity with my partner is incredibly important to my marriage and the health and continuation of this bond I have with this other human. We waited around for the spontaneity to happen or we tried to like purchase the product or take the hormone and we don't deal with all of our thoughts and society's crap that teaches us that we shouldn't prioritize our pleasure. It's, it's more about his orgasm than ours, right? Like all the stuff that like makes it enjoyable, but makes you just, you just need to show up and start figuring out what works for you guys. Um, so that's my spontaneous desire exercise analogy. And then my melted ice cream analogy is I love Pagandas chip. I can literally down a pint in a day but I make it go two days because then I don't feel super bad. It's like 990 calories a pint. Here go, back to me exercising. So love make chocolate chip haagen ice cream. Love it. If you gave it to me melted, I would not love it. I wouldn't eat it. I don't care if it's in a fancy bowl or you put sprinkles on it. If it's melted, I don't want it. How desire works is if you're having crappy sex, where you're like, whatever, just get it over with. He needs it, otherwise he's going to get grumpy, which is a whole coaching thing. It's not your job to make anybody else happy. The higher, if if your partner has the higher desire, it's their job to meet their own needs. It's not your job to rise to the level of that higher desire person, huge coaching topic. But if you have melted ice cream as your dessert, you're not gonna want to eat it. You've got to figure out how to make it the ice cream that you want to eat, right? And a lot of that involves prioritizing the clitoris, the labia, all the external structures before any penetration happens, my joke, for a lot of women is, if it's not an eight, don't penetrate. The vaginal penetration comes after you get yours. If you enjoy it as part of it, great. I'm not saying don't do it, but I'm saying for the majority of women, what we know, 80% of women will not have orgasms with penis and vagina sex. Does that have my clitoris book in. No. Um, book club with Lori Mintz, end of September, becoming clitoris. Very fast read, you guys, super fast read. Um, so I highly recommend it. September twenty-six, 7 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, plugging the book club, Becoming Clutterate. She talks a lot about society's crap on prioritizing male orgasm over female orgasm. She talks a lot about the orgasmic inequality that happens. And if you look at any relationship, heterosexual, homosexual, m- male, male, female, female, all the different iterations The heterosexual male-female orgasm gap is the biggest of all of them. When you bring a heterosexual male in with a heterosexual female, she has less orgasms than her homosexual female counterparts, and he has the highest amount of orgasms, even compared with his homosexual counterparts. There's something about this, whether it's society and how we prioritize things, bring this equation in that's where the biggest orgasmic inequality comes in because we weren't taught that the clitoris is what is the organ of pleasure not the vagina men don't know that women don't know that. um and how to prioritize that so the woman actually enjoys sex looks forward to sex knows that sex is something for a part of her healthy life and is not something that is an obligation well, I'll just try to. I'll try. I'll do a common model on sex, just so you guys can see how this fits in. Sex. Breaking my cardinal rule of making my seep specific, but I thought I should desire sex. My first rule, again, of the model is if you ever put a should in your thought, don't be surprised that your results aren't what you want them to be. Because should is a very shaming, like, I don't want to, but society says I should. Like, eating eight eight vegetables a day for me, that's a should. So I should desire sex. Feeling burdened. So if you're feeling burdened, you might do some avoiding behavior. Guilt towards sex can come up. Uh, Self, like, buffering, if you don't want to feel that, could come up. Um, What else when I should? I should desire sex. certainly actions is making yourself feel broken. You might not look forward to sex, right? Because, like, If you think the goodness of sex comes from desiring it, you might start to not look forward to sex. Or you might avoid sex because you think the desire has to come first. And then the result is you're not desiring sex. Not desiring. So that's just one super fast model on how we put sex and desire in there. Um, Sex and desire, so You put in, you can put your spouse under the circumstance. And if your thoughts about your spouse aren't desirous thoughts, we don't wonder where our desire is for sex, right? Um, Oh, another one that I see all the time is that um, orgasms take too long, which is super funny when you think about like sex needing to be under a certain time limit. Because again, that's our frontal processing lobe of like go, go go, go, go go, orgasms don't live there. So even like thinking that sex should orgasm should happen faster totally kills orgasms. Orgasms do not exist under pressure. They do very poorly with that. That's Let's say husband. What do we think about our husband that causes bad desire? He, I see a common one. Uh, husband, he's not doing it right. When we think this about our significant other, it makes us feel, he's not doing it right. makes him feel tight. <laughs> Favorite surgeon feeling. Uh, Makes me feel tight. Makes me feel entitled to a husband that should be doing it right. Um, Right, that's good. The other thing about tight is orgasms don't live in tight bodies. You have to have parasympathetic, relaxed body. And if your body's like, no, I got to fix you. The tight uh, actions of that is tension conflict between the, between the senses. Maybe when you're communicating, if you think he's not doing it right, you're kind of like entitled to fix it maybe a little bit. So certainly the result is not, is not leading to desire in your spouse. So when we're talking about the context of sex, right? I wouldn't, I wouldn't say, like, no interest in having sex if somebody was talking to me about this model in a different format, right? But if I was, if somebody, because a lot of women will do this. And again, I think it's society telling us that, like, we're the passive, right? Is, like, he doesn't give me an orgasm, right? So that would be, like, he's not doing it right. Keep in mind, they didn't go to any, like, secret sex secret school that, like, the women didn't get. And they don't even own our body parts. So the fact that like, and they watch the same Hollywood movies that we do, where it's like hot and heavy, penis goes in the vagina, it ends in one minute. Men didn't learn either how to please women. So like, it's not their fault at all. But if you think like, oh, I just, I don't enjoy sex because he doesn't give me an orgasm. It's such a passive way to have a sex life, right? Because you're dependent upon somebody else trying to figure out your equipment. They don't even own the equipment you haven't given them any feedback about the equipment because maybe you haven't taken the time to figure out your own equipment. So the the thoughts we think about them and kind of their job in giving us pleasure versus the pleasure is ours to be shared with that person just puts a whole bunch of different energy on your power to enjoy and cultivate and create the sex life that you want to have. So Totally coachable. Sex is completely able to put in the model. Um, oh, we'll do one more in my five minutes left. I'm going to put the result of a happy sex life, and we'll 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 show the model how it works exactly. So, result, of good sex life. C, T, E, F, A, F. Again, sex, mind, my nice sex life. So if somebody says, I want the result of a, a great sex life, right? Then the coach might say like, what does somebody with a good sex life, how does, how does that, how does she act? Is the person with a good sex life sitting around waiting for spontaneous desire? right? Is a person with a good sex life saying, I'll get to this next week." I'm too busy right now, right? So if you say, I want a great sex life, you can't be passive about it, because the person with a good sex life is doing something to have that great sex life, right? So what is she doing? What might she do? She prioritizing sex in her life? The one prioritizing. Um... Another thing, again, remember, actions are what you do and what you don't do, right? So what she's not doing is waiting around for it to show up like every Disney princess before. Who was the first empowered Disney princess? Frozen? I don't know. Not sitting around. Not passive. Another thing is she's probably curious. She probably try a new thing. She's figured out how to communicate with her partner about what works and what doesn't work and where they can meet in the middle if both of them have different sex drugs. Right? Communicate. I would say like empowerment or owning owning her sexuality. Her sexuality is hers because if she thinks it's somebody else's job or some product or some whatever, it's not hers, right? It's not her sex life that is great, something outside of her. She kind of owns her sexuality. Um, feeling, I think the feeling that is driving the action, I would say, you know, either a curiosity or confidence would come up. Um, Probably, I would say, oh, I like the confident one because confidence, I think, drives a lot of positive action. Let's see. Anyway, again, I'm filling in kind of my own model here. Yours might look different than this. There's not one right way to do it. But you can be like, I need the feeling of confidence to be able to communicate because communication is vulnerability, right? I need the feeling of confidence to say, I'm gonna prioritize this, I'm gonna make the, I'm gonna be in the driver's seat, right? And so the thought on, on my sex, my thought is my sex life is mine. I think that thought drives a lot of confidence to go and to do things. So my friends, my surgeons, that was me talking for an hour about the model, about sex and about putting sex in the model. So, thank you so much for showing up. I'll post this. Feel free to DM me or post anything in the Room One Facebook group if you have any questions about this. I love you guys for showing up. You're rock stars. Until next time.